Good to see you. It's been a long week. Somebody told me on the midweek video today, I said it was October 23rd, which I don't think is correct. Although I don't know, this has been the longest year of my entire existence. And I've had some very long years. I've had some years that I felt counted as dog years, like they were so long, they should count as like seven years. This may be one of them. So I don't know what it, what it is. I've no idea what it is, but I know we're here and I've got something to say and I'm excited you're here. Thank you for coming. Uh, I've enjoyed our time together. We've kind of been just making progress as we're building a case, essentially, every week, building on the last week on what it means to live a life of worship. And we were created for this, okay? So if we just skip this and go to other stuff, we've missed it. I mean, we were created to worship. We exist for the praise of his glory, Ephesians 1. We have been created and we exist on planet Earth. And after planet Earth, for all of eternity, we exist that everything in our lives might be constant worship to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we exist for this purpose. It would be helpful for us to know what that means. And so we have been talking about what is worship and what does that mean to live that way. And we started with a definition that is on your sheet. By the way, if you don't have one of these, you can grab one. They're at the doors. Feel free to get up. I won't be offended or think you're leaving. Unless you leave, then I'll think you're leaving. But you grab one of these. They're at the door, kind of walking through what we're doing tonight. But we've said worship is responsible. Responding with all that we are, mind, will, and emotions to the revelation of God. So week one, we talked about responding to revelation, meaning that worship is this daily rhythm surrendered to the Lord, hearing from him, receiving from him, and just walking in it. So our relationship with God is dynamic. It is moving. It is changing. It is not stagnant. God woke you up this morning, and he had something he wanted you to walk in. And his call to your life of worship is to wake up in the morning and say, Lord, Romans 12, here I am. I've surrendered to you. Here's my life. Here's my day. And I want to just kind of live it in this rhythm of responding to you. I want to just be ready for you, be sensitive hearing from you. Then the next week, we talked about that the only way we can do that is if we understand the word God in our definition. God is a person to be known, loved, and pursued. You will never worship God if you think he is only an idea to be studied. He is a person to be known and pursued. So we must grow in our intimacy with him. We must know him more and desire to be with him. Uh, And so we talked about our need to cultivate intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we still have a few things left in our definition. And so in the next two weeks, we're going to talk about worship with our mind and our emotions. You say, what about our will? Well, that's what we've talked about every week and are going to keep talking about because the very center of worship is what we talked about, this idea that you have to just surrender your will to the Lord. That's it. That's the starting place. The starting place of worship is here I am, God, whatever you want to do with me. Uh, I'm ready. That's worship. So we really have talked about the will every single week, but I want to transition a little bit more into this idea of worshiping God with our mind and our emotions. So we'll do emotions next week. This week, right now, we're going to talk about what does it mean to worship God with our minds, okay? Uh, You'll see here there is one truth for tonight, and it is this. The degree to which we worship God... So the whole thing we've been talking about is we want to worship God more, all of life, every day. So the degree to which we worship God will be determined by the depth by which we know God. The degree to which we worship is going to be determined by the depth in which we know God. Uh, And we're going to kind of talk about what that means here a little bit. So if you want to worship God more, 
more degrees, so I want to worship God 90%, 100%, then going alongside of that desire must be a deepening of, of knowledge. There's this little phrase I thought of this week that I've heard a lot in my life. I looked it up and found a bunch of people that had said it, and it says this. We cannot worship what we, and don't amen this, because I'm about to say it's wrong and I don't want you to feel bad. That happens all the time. We, can, we cannot worship what we do not know. Don't amen. I don't know why I'm saying this. It's not like you amen all the time. Oh, like I, I got a problem with you amening too much. I don't know why I was worried for a minute that I was gonna get an outburst of amens. Never happened. They say all the time, you cannot worship what you do not know. Now, I understand that. What they're saying is, if you want to worship God, you got to know him. And I I wrote that down this week because I was going to preach about that. Like, that was perfect. That was exactly the phrase I needed for tonight. But the more I thought about it, I don't think it's true. Because a lot of reasons. One, John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to the woman of the well about worship. And he says this to her. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. Well, that must mean you can worship something you don't know because she's doing it and all the Samaritans are doing it. See, they were worshiping. They just didn't know what they were worshiping. They didn't have worship in accordance to truth, so their worship was in vain, but it was still worship. I think about Psalm 115, all those who worship idols, they have ears, but they don't hear. They have eyes, but they don't see. So they're worshiping something, but they're worshiping something they don't know because you can't know a piece of metal or a piece of wood. There's nothing to know about that. I think about Acts 16 where Paul goes into Athens and he says that there is an idol there to an unknown God. They're just kind of covering their bases. We've got this one, this one, and this one. Let's make another one to some God we don't know. And they worshiped it. They worshiped an idol to an unknown God. Or Romans chapter 10 verse 2. It says about the Jews, they're zealous for God but not in accordance with knowledge. Meaning, it is possible to worship something you don't know. Now, I had a thought today that I don't think I've ever had before. And you would think I would have because it's so logical because we've been talking about worship is responding with all you are, mind, emotions, and will to the revelation of God. Here's the thought I had. Whatever has your mind, your will, and emotions is what you worship. Whatever has your mind, like what consumes your thoughts, what's got your mind most of the day, what's got your emotion, what gets you fired up, what gets you sad, what gets you happy, what is it that your emotions going, and what's got your will, what's calling the shots. It could be all kinds of things. It could be kids, sports, job, whatever's got your mind, emotions, and will is what you're worshiping. Here's the thing. This world is filled with people worshiping things and they don't even know what they're worshiping. But everybody's worshiping something because something has your mind, emotions, and will. Something has those things. Something has control of those things. Something owns those things. So it is possible to worship and not even have a thought about what you're worshiping or even have any deep knowledge. So it is possible to worship what you do not know, but listen, it's not possible to worship God if you don't know him. Impossible. You cannot worship God if you do not know him. There is a direct correlation, given hence our definition tonight of of what we're talking about, that one truth. There is a direct correlation between the degree of your worship and the depth of your knowledge. So 
if you have a tendency to not want to go deeper in the things of God for whatever reason, then just know that's gonna limit the degree into which you can worship God. There's a direct connection between what you know and what it is that you worship, okay? So I wanna build a little case for how this works, okay? For, for how it is that we love God with our minds. And these truths are all right there. There's four of them. The first one is this. God has created you to know him. You say, well, yes, we know that. Well, I know you know that, but I want you to think about what that means. That means that the very core of our faith is knowledge. Like you, you have to know something. You can't get saved unless you know something. Now, there's a lot of people that know stuff and aren't saved, but you can't be saved without knowing stuff. The gospel is news. It's information. It's facts. It's, it's history. It's here's what happened, and you have to believe the news. God wants us to know him, so God is calling us to think deeply about him. So whenever we say, oh, God, I want to know you, well, that means you got to study Right, I, I, like, I think my kids have this idea that like, I want to know this information. Well, you could. Like you actually could go upstairs in your room, leaving your phone downstairs, and you could actually know this. God, I wanna know you. You could. Like, it, that, that's possible. You just, gotta, you just gotta go for it. But God has created us to be increasing in knowledge and to know him. Uh, one of the little books I'm going to talk about here in a minute uh, is this little book right here on Jonathan Edwards on knowing Christ. It's a series of sermons. And I used to be really diligent to write the date in which I read a book. I used to do that in apparently in December of 2004. But I learned something from the first chapter of this book that I've never forgotten. I won't read it to you, but, but here's the gist of what Jonathan Edwards is saying. As human beings, God has given us intellectual capabilities that are superior to what he calls the brutes, animals. We have the ability to reason, to think, to understand, to use logic. We have abilities that animals don't have. And the reason God has given us superior intellectual abilities is because God wants us to implore those in something superior. Meaning, God's design for us was not just to live by instinct or appetite, where we just do what's next and and we eat what's there and we just don't think, we just live. And what Jonathan Edwards says is this. If you have been given those faculties and you don't use them for the purpose of knowing God, you have brought yourself down to the level of the brutes. You're an animal. That's what he says. He says it really well in like 14 pages. But that's, that's an amazing thought. Like if you're not using this to think deeply about God, then you're just functioning like an animal. So God has created us with this, with this, this desire to, to know him. Now, the next truth that you've got to see is this, and it's right there, that our minds have been corrupted, totally corrupted, and in every way by sin. So we think about sin affecting our heart and our soul. What you need to know is this, is your mind was completely corrupted in the fall. So your mind was hardened, 2 Corinthians 3, your mind is depraved, your mind is dark, which means there's no light, you can't see the glory of God in Christ, your mind is filled with futility. We may not have time for Q&A tonight, I'm just telling you that right now. 
at dinner table last night. I have no idea why, because this is not a normal habit for us, but we talked talking about the election. And um, my kids were asking about the issue of abortion. And uh, my two older daughters were very aware of this. My younger daughters were not. So I was trying to talk in a little, kind of a little bit of veiled language because one of my daughters would be super sensitive and this would like, it would be hard for her to process this. So my oldest daughter at the end of the conversation said, dad, this doesn't make any sense. How is it that a nine month old baby out of the womb is a baby, but one in the womb is not? What I said to her is this, I had just been studying Romans 1 for tonight, and I said, Lily, logic is not the issue. Abortion is logically absolutely idiotic. Because if that baby comes out and is born at six months and is in the NICU and you went in and killed it, you go to jail. If you kill it in the, so the point is, there's no logic involved. And what I told her is Romans chapter one says this, is that as people continue to re- reject God, God gives them over to a futile mind. They can't, they, they're thinking things that are so beyond logic. We look at it and say, that is the stupidest thought I've ever heard in my life. And they believe it. Seemingly smart people. Why? Because they have futile minds. They're just given over to futility. That's, that's the condition of our minds because of sin. So just know this, without Christ, this ability God has given us has been totally messed up because of sin. But the next truth there, the third truth is this, is that God has redeemed our minds. So one of the things that happens in salvation, Ezekiel 36, is God takes this hardened heart and he makes it soft. He gives us a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. So now we can have desires for God. But you know that part of redemption is God taking that darkened mind and putting light into it. Colossians 1, so he, he transferred us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So all of a sudden, this depraved mind now has the ability to have pure thoughts, and now this darkened mind has light, and this futile mind has understanding. So part of what God did in salvation is gave you the ability to think rightly and correctly. Listen to Ephesians 4, 17. Now this I say to you and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. How do they walk? In the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. You're saying every unbeliever is ignorant about the things of God? They are totally ignorant. They don't even have the capability to understand the things of God. And here's Paul's irritation and most pastors' irritation. Okay, one of the things that happened to you when you got saved is for the very first time, you got the ability to think about God. But you're acting like a Gentile and an unbeliever because you're not using your mind to think about God. So Paul is saying, God redeemed your mind. He turned the light on. He gave you this new mind, but you have to renew it, Ephesians 12. You've got to keep working on this mind and cultivating and developing this mind. But one of the things that happens in salvation is we get this new redeemed mind. So created to know, to study, to think, to reason, to use our intellect, created for that, corrupted by sin, awakened in salvation, which means those of you who know the Lord tonight can know God. 
And so the, the final thing is this, and it's right there, is that we must then seek diligently to love God with all of our minds. If, if God, through salvation, has given us the ability to know him, then we've got to make this a pursuit. So we think about that one command, to love the Lord your God. Well, he says you got to love the Lord your God, and part of that was all of your mind, meaning if we were to ever get into, like, absolute love of God, Remember our chart last week, like all the way to the top of the chart where we're just all in love with God, then the result of that or one of the ways that would happen is that this mind would be all God. Like every thought we had would be somehow connected to our understanding and belief in God. There wouldn't be any idle thoughts. Every thought would be consumed with God. Now, like I said, we're not gonna get to the top of the chart, but we wanna get to the top of the chart. Like we're not gonna get there until glory but we're seeking to get there. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, loving God means that you're engaging your mind in the things of the Lord. Now, one of the things I think we want to make clear is this, is that the reason, and I, th- I love this idea that you have love and mind together. I, I read an article by R.C. Sproul, and he said this. He said, when we think about love, we often say, well, I fell in love, like something accidental happened. I was just walking down the road and I just fell into love. And I think the reason we say that is because that's what most people think, right? Like I was just, I was at this place and I saw her and just, I don't know what happened. Like I fell and I was in love. The problem is, is that you don't just fall in love with Jesus. Like we, because if you say that, then you also have the people that say, well, then you fell out of love. Like you also, I don't know how you fall back up. I don't know how that works, but like, Love is an engagement of the mind, right? Like if you want to grow in love, there's a connection between growing in love and growing in your mind. We always think of love in terms of a feeling or emotion, but the Lord says this, do you want to love me more? Do you want to have deeper affection, desire for me? I can spend all week next week on that. Do you want to have greater devotion? Well then here, listen, part of that is you engaging your mind. So we engage our minds, we think deeply about the things of the Lord because in so doing, it raises our affection, our feelings, and it raises our devotion, our desire to do things with the Lord. So on my second week of talking about worship, I really emphasized more of this intimate, um, going deeper with the Lord emotionally and relationally. And I had a couple of conversations with people said, well, pastor, it seems like you're saying that we don't need Bible studies. I said, well, no, what I'm saying is some of you don't need another Bible study because all you're trying to do is just fill this up and it's not leading to anything else. You're just consumed with knowing more. And I said, I'm gonna get to the week in which I talk about your mind, but I wanna really state this case that God wants your heart. He wants your heart. He wants relationship. He wants to sit with you and know you. But you know, you gotta listen to all five weeks in order to get the whole picture. And this week, what I'm saying is this, is that part of that is also the intentional engagement of your mind in the growth of the deeper things of God because as you do that, you will love him more and serve him more. I I say this all the time. I have this conviction. I said this like two weeks ago. I don't know when, I think I say it all the time. I just have this core conviction that if I can just get people to go after Jesus and start pursuing him and reading about him, this is why I love D groups. If I can get you reading your Bible, I think when you meet Jesus, you're gonna like him. I'm so, like, that's big for me. 
Like if every week I can just say to you, go after God, read your Bible, go out. I think that the more you go, you're gonna really like him. You're gonna think this guy is incredible and he's gonna get your heart and he's gonna get your devotion. So I was thinking today that when I um, graduated from college, I went overseas. I made a commitment to go two years, stayed about two and a half years. And um, somebody had given me this idea that before you go, and uh, I had no, like, I didn't really have internet. Uh, I did have an email address, but it was really early in that, so there wasn't a lot of things to entertain me. Um, somebody said, talk to 10 people that you really respect and get them to all recommend books and take those books with you. That was a great idea. So I went to my Uncle Jim, staunch, reformed Calvinist. I said, give me a book. He gave me Lorraine Boatner's The Reformed Doctrine of Predestination, 500 pages. I bought it and took it with me. I asked Paige Patterson, who had been very influential live, staunch anti-Calvinist. He gave me Leon Morris uh, on uh, the apostolic preaching of the cross. So it's this, this chapter by chapter study of every Greek word used for salvation and what it, what it means, okay? Uh, my uncle Jim gave me a book on George Mueller. So anyway, all these books. Uh, the first two I read were the first two I mentioned. The Reformed Doctrine of Predestination, 500 pages. And the next one was the apostolic preaching of the cross. I don't know how to explain this, although to say to you, that was the first time in my life as a 22-year-old where I had been just consumed with Jesus. Part of it was I was away. I had alone time. There was some of that. But I'm just telling you, the more I read and studied and the deeper I went in my knowledge of the things of the Lord, it didn't hinder me from love. It led me to greater love. I was reading things about what Jesus did on the cross that I had never heard before or never thought about. I just always heard Jesus died on the cross. Well, that's true. But things like propitiation and redemption and reconciliation, those are big words that mean incredible things. And so I read two chapters on propitiation, which I, I couldn't spell to you, but I, can, I could explain it to you. A word that in a lot of translations has actually been removed because they say, well, people don't know what it means. I know so if they see it, maybe they'll go figure out what it means. Don't take it out. Leave it there. But the point is, is that the more I started to dive into these deeper things of the Lord, the more I just loved him and was overwhelmed by all he had done for me. That this type of digging deeper into the Lord does not hinder our devotion. It is to lead to our devotion. Now, I want to give you one text for you to see here real quick in Hebrews 5. Turn there with me. Hebrews 5. Uh, starting in verse 11. Now, for those of you who may are visiting tonight, I know every, every Wednesday we seem to have visitors. Our normal routine on Sunday morning is to walk through passages of Scripture. We believe a steady diet of that is always best. This is a little bit different on Wednesday nights. We're looking at some topics. But I want you to look at this passage. When the entire fear of the, of the book of Hebrews is that these people might end up like the Jews of the Old Testament and start really well, but not finish well. Chapter two, be careful lest you drift away. I mean, everything in this book, in Hebrews, goes back to the book of Numbers when these people could have taken the promised land. They could have gotten everything, but they missed it. So he's really worried about that. And he says this. He's been talking about Melchizedek, amen? And he says this. He says, about this, we have much to say. So he's saying, we got, we got a lot to say. Like, we could talk about this all day. And it's hard to explain. Some hard stuff. Have you ever read through Hebrews and thought, there's some hard stuff here? Well, the author acknowledges that this is hard. 
But the reason it's so hard is because you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. Now, let's think about this for a minute. This is, this is early, early in the church. Like none of these people had been believers. None of these people had been believers for 15 years, 20 years. He says, well, by this time, I mean, you're 10 years in here. You, you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again. What? The basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. He's rebuking them that they've been believers and they're still drinking milk, the basics. They've never gotten past the basics. It says this, but solid food is for the mature. Now here, listen. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So the reason you can't say, well, this is for theologians and these, this is for those who have seminary degrees is because this says what you need to think deeply is just constant work. Work. But you just need to put in the effort. It's for those who've been trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. The ability to understand the deeper things of God is simply for those who have the mind of Christ and who will apply themselves to know it. And so what I want you to see is this, is there is a direct correlation between the degree to which you worship and the depth to which you know God. If you want to go further in your desires for God, further in your devotion to God, you must also go further in your knowledge of God. You must pursue him more deeply. Now, in my 10 minutes to ask questions, questions are coming in. All right. But some of these questions that look like about, I'm gonna talk about a little bit here for just a minute. How do, you, how do you start? How do you get there a little deeper, okay? I'm gonna give you some practical tips. Some of these are on here, some of these are not, okay? I wrote a few more down this afternoon. I actually already printed the notes. First of all, Proverbs 2, 3, and 5, and I think this one is on there. It says this, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. How do you go deeper? You, you search for it. You work, you apply some effort. So instead of spending five, I'll tell you one of my biggest pet peeves, and I'm sorry if you have this book, but I can't stand when I see a one minute devotion for busy people. Like you go online, you go on Amazon, you look up one minute devotions. What's that? Like what, like somebody was in the bookstore and thought I tried two minutes and it was a stretch. This is perfect. I've been looking for a way that I could get my dose of God in less than 60 seconds. You should be ashamed of yourself. Like one minute with Jesus. So what I'm saying to you is if there's any desire, you gotta go home and burn that book. Don't give it to Goodwill because someone else will get it. Throw it in the trash can. Tonight, don't sell it. You gotta just, you gotta, you gotta give Jesus more than a minute. So it says like, go this, like it's for treasures. Have you ever heard this? If you rake, you get leaves, but if you dig, you get diamonds. You want good stuff? Well, dig, stop raking. One minute devotions, like that's one of those like cheap, flimsy plastic rakes. Got at the dollar store, it's not even a good rake. Not even getting good leaves. The second thing I would say is this, is, is, 
feast more deeply on specific parts of the word. So this is a practical application. What I mean is this, is that I do our daily Bible reading, okay? But today, uh, it was, I'm sorry, I read all week on Monday. It's, it's, uh, it was second, no, it's, we're in 1 Timothy 1, I think today. Um, that's great. Praise God. I love that we're all doing that together. I hope you are. You need to do that. It's like five minutes, okay? So what I'm doing alongside of that is reading some things a little bit more deeply. One of the things I like to do is take a book of the Bible. I, I always encourage people to start with Philippians because it's easy and just read it every day for 30 days. Just go deeper into a book. Just settle in a book. 21 chapters in the book of John. Read one a day for 21 days and do it again and again and again and again. Just get into a book and go deeper, okay? Um, I, get, I love that people read through the whole Bible and at some point in your life you need to read the whole Bible but I get worried that we just checking off the list and some of you just need to settle in for a little bit and let God really stir something in your heart. So that's, that's a, uh, another thought. I would say too, get a study Bible. Uh, the ESV study Bible is really good and small. Like you can stick this in your pocket <laughs> if you have cargo pants. And uh, this is a great, there's a new NIV study Bible uh, I don't read out of the NIV, but this is uh, written, it's edited by D.A. Carson. It's actually really, really good. This is, I love this. It's got tons of uh, thoughts, but a good study Bible would help you. So you just read a little bit more. Make sure you don't read just the notes and not the text up top. Text up top's the real stuff. The stuff at the bottom's what everybody else said about it. But that'll help you. Uh, if you're gonna go through a book like Philippians, we'll get a little commentary with it. And uh, just read that commentary along. So just dive a little deeper. And then read all of these. Let's close in prayer. No, uh, I did think tonight that I was gonna say to you, and I think what I'm gonna do is, I think I'm gonna go back, listen to this. That email I sent out today, the midweek email, I can go back and edit that online. I think I'm gonna edit that tomorrow to include some of these books. I was just gonna say to you, read something like Tozer's Knowledge of the Holy. Or just dig a little deeper into Tozer's Knowledge of the Holy. Read Knowing God by Packer. It's got a gold seal on it. It's won a lot of awards. This is like one of the absolute all-time, this is probably the most significant book of our generation. Can I tell you this? Read Pilgrim's Progress. And that sounds, but you can, you can spend the rest of your life in this book and never come to the end of what it means. And there are better, this is a cheesy pink version, but there's better, some of them have pictures. But read Pilgrim's Progress. Um, there's things like uh, the Valley of Vision. It's Puritan Prayers. It just, it just gets you thinking a little bit more deeply about God. There's a lot of stuff. Um, just read a good book that takes more than a minute. Dive a little deeper and think a little bit more. Get a group together and say, let's read Knowledge of the Holy. Let's read Knowing God together. Just take some time to get to know the Lord a little bit more.